Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. So, what are you? <laughs> what's astonishing you? <laughs> um, well, we were talking about this earlier um, when when we were having coffee after, uh, um, and so this week, um, a, a woman who was a, a really um, beloved part of our community died, and I um, was really um, it was a really sacred moment to go and be with her and pray with her before she died, and. Um, I hesitate to talk about moments like that in a context like this because um, it's just a really tender thing. Um, And also, I think it's really important to talk about those moments because I don't think we talk about them enough. And I think that it's one of the reasons that our Christian communities sometimes aren't as, um, as deep as they could be because... We don't, we don't talk about death and we don't talk about facing death. And I think sometimes we are, are good at gathering with people after death and naming the promises of life and resurrection. And that is great. But often when people are facing death, we don't, we, we don't have that conversation because... With the same kind of confidence. Correct. Because I think there's this thing in our... In, in Christian culture in general, that that um, we don't know when to accept that death is a part of God's answer to our prayers. Um, and so that's really challenging. And, and so I feel really um, convicted and convinced that people have a right, whatever situation they're facing physically, um, or in any other way, they have a right um, and an expectation, a good expectation that the pastor should show up and pray for healing and pray for miracles and pray that God, either through what we would name natural or through what we would name supernatural, that God would intervene and just bring unexpected and abundant goodness into a situation. And so um, I never you know, want to walk into somebody's um, space or into their hospital room and just kind of say, well, given the outcome, we're given what the doctors say, I'm not praying for healing anymore. That, that is not faithful. But I also think that we are all going to die and faithful, beloved followers of Jesus are going to die and, and faithful, beloved people who don't know Jesus are going to die. And that, um, there's no, and we need to be able to understand death as not a failure. And we need to be able to understand death not as a sign that somehow God doesn't love us enough to intervene or a sign that somehow we haven't prayed, you know, right, right, or strong believed. We just need a language to talk about death. And I feel like we don't, we don't have it that in some parts of the church, I think we don't have language to talk about healing. And in other parts of the church, we don't have language to talk about death. And I was just sharing that. Um, I feel really strongly that, um, when there are moments that you are honored to to be with someone 
before they're going to die and you are going to pray with them and that part of our witness is that death isn't a failure and it isn't um, God turning a deaf ear to our prayers and we don't understand death um, ever and then there are certainly situations where death is is even more extraordinarily cruel um, but that still we need to have a word of hope to say at the moment of death that is bigger than well this person's not going to die because sometimes the person we love does die in fact eventually all the people we love will die and so you know it was a, a really sacred moment to go in and pray with this person and it's actually been happening frequently lately to be praying with someone and to know and I and I know this that that the person can hear you even if they are not they don't appear to be conscious um, but often in that moment there is a sign like someone moves or or you know turns their head or squeezes your hand and you know that they can hear you and it's really just this I mean, this moment that is so sacred, it's even hard to name it, of walking into that space and saying, everything is going to be okay. Um, that at this moment, it's more important than ever to tell you, um, all is well, all is well, all is well. And you are not separate from God, and God has not abandoned you, and God is with you, and um, something beautiful lies in front of you right now and it is a healing and that what we believe and what we proclaim is that we die as those who go forth to live and so it's really important to say at that moment what we are really witnessing if we have eyes to see is new birth um and i was telling you earlier that one of the things that just feels very real to me as somebody who has had three children, is that um, there's a lot about being in a hospital room with someone who is dying that viscerally feels the same to me as being in a hospital room waiting for someone to be born. And I think um, theologically, that is just the heart of what we believe. And it's really helpful um, and holy to say to people, um, if you get to be with your beloved one, at the moment of death, what you are doing is surrounding them with love and care and support at the moment of new birth. And and so it is sad and it's hard and it's uncertain and it's kind of scary um, and life will irrevocably be different on the other side of this moment. But what we believe is that even here, God is good and God is faithful. And sometimes God's goodness and faithfulness is expressed by, you know, a, a change of outcome that, you know, the person does not die. Um, but sometimes God's goodness and faithfulness is expressed when the person does die. And we can't be afraid to name that in that space. And I just think it's so important for the person lying there in the bed not to hear everyone around them being afraid to name the fact that they are dying. Because if we can't say that we're dying, what we're really saying to them is it's not okay. It's so not okay that we can't even say it. And that we don't have hope. That we have no hope. That if you're dying, we got 
we got nothing to pray. Yeah. Like all we can pray is that you're not dying. Mm-hmm. But if the person knows that they are dying, they need to know that, I mean, it's, it's not about our personal wisdom or our personal uh, belief. It's about just the, the vast, deep wealth and richness of the Christian tradition is that death is not the end of life with the Lord. And that the very beginning, I mean, we were saying earlier, like the Christian faith at the center of it is death. I mean, is the death of Jesus and that was real and it was true and it was unjust and it was tragic and it was evil and it involved great suffering and unfairness and God didn't prevent it. God redeemed it. And and in the death of Jesus, death is overcome in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right. And so when we face death because of Jesus, death becomes a transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, death becomes a gateway into eternity, and it's not the end. Mm-hmm. And I and that's just a really important thing to be able to show up and say, in life or in death, we are caught up in in the love and power of Jesus and in the love and goodness of Jesus. And if we are um, blessed enough to be with someone we love when we die, then one of the things that we can proclaim to them is we believe that you are about to enter into the mystery of the goodness of God in a profound way that we can only glimpse that we can only, you know, catch, catch a glimpse of, and you're about to enter into the fullness of that. And, you know, to be scared is okay and it's not wrong and it's not a sin, but along with that fear, um, you can know that there's some anticipation and, you know, and for me, just the, you know, going back to, you know, being ready, I mean, not just for the mother, but for the father of like having this momentous moment of the birth of your child, that it's, it's, it's scary as well as joyful. And, but I mean, I think like the culture at large, that's not going to be facing, especially when you're a first time parent, the reality of the change just papers it over and says, well, it's all joy and it's all goodness. And the reality is when you are in that room and it's about to happen, it's not all joy and it's not all happiness. It's, I mean, there's a a real just unsettling loss of life is going to be so different after this moment. And um, I think, you know, then the whole cultural reality around death is it's all too terrible to be faced or even to be named. And that's not that's not true. That's not what we believe. And so, um, anyway, I just was thinking about that. And then, um, you know, obviously we're getting ready to worship on Ash Wednesday tomorrow. And, a, and a huge part of that is this reality that once a year we gather all the people we love together and say, we know we're going to die. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to put this sign on our flesh that I know for sure that I am going to die. And so how do I want to live in light of that? And how do I want to know that that is coming and also know that I don't have to be afraid, um, that it's okay if I am afraid, but also there's a, a way and a truth and a light that allows me to look at that without turning around and running the other way and without sticking my fingers in my ears and just trying to distract myself. And to know that for us as believers, there are many, many, many worse things than death. Um, and Yes, I'm reminded of two places in scripture. Uh, one, uh, where Paul says, um, neither death nor life, mm-hmm. 
will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And um, uh, the, the other place is um, Psalm 23. Mm-hmm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. And I think the way we use Psalm 23 a lot, I mean, not when we do it at funerals, but a lot of the times when we use Psalm 23 in sort of life, I think the impression we get is I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'm not afraid because death's not going to get me. Right. And so to be able to say, I mean, sure, yes, and sometimes, I mean, eventually we do face death. And you don't want to go to the opposite extreme of saying like it doesn't matter if people die because we are a people who know that lives matter and bodies matter and we're not indifferent that a life lost, that's a tragedy, that death was not a part of God's original design for creation, but we also have a story larger than death. Yeah, one of the greatest privileges that we have, of course, is to stand before God's people on Sunday morning, open the scriptures, and proclaim the good news of Mm -hmm. Jesus. And very close to that is the moment when a believer dies, we get to read the scripture, and to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And it is the same good news. It is the good news that death has been overcome in Jesus. And to remind people of that is a holy privilege. And um, as we were saying earlier, I remember when I was, you know, ordained at 26 and going into hospital rooms and or going into hospice rooms and uh, being with people who were dying, I just did not know what to say and I didn't connect the gospel I was preaching on Sunday mornings mm-hmm. with the gospel to be proclaimed on someone's deathbed and it took me a while and I'm embarrassed to say it took me way too long to connect those two things and so now I have much more clarity much more confidence much more boldness because really I'm not trying to um, think of something to say It's Mm -hmm. simply the good news. I just simply bring the good news of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection to mind. I think it's just so interesting because of the way that that the good news has been commercialized and marketed. And it's all about, often, all about living your best life now Mm -hmm. and maximizing Mm -hmm. your potential. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the the reason that that is powerful is because it's not wholly untruth, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, but, but I think we often don't talk about the good news of the gospel makes us a people who know how to die. Well, and that gonna, yes. doesn't sell t-shirts. I was going to say, we live in a death-denying culture, Correct. a death, death-denying society. Mm-hmm. So whatever we need to do to ignore the reality of death, we will do it, even when it comes to our theology and church life. Mm-hmm. And so I just think, for me, I, I have always, I, I've always just sort of intrinsically understood the power of proclaiming the promises of the gospel after death, but to get to a point where you realize, no, the time when you really need them the most for the person who is going through the process of dying, I mean, is not after they've died because then they're caught up in the grace and love of the Lord, but it's it's before and it's when they're facing it and there need to be people who can walk into that room and say, you know, I'm, I don't see the future and I don't, I, you know, I'm not proclaiming a sentence over you. I'm just saying whether you rise up out of this bed or whether you rise up into glory, God is going to be faithful to you. And, um, it's important to be able to say at this moment, not, you know, 
in spite of, but at this moment, God is being faithful to you. And it's part of our role as shepherds of God's people to mm-hmm. walk with them, to shepherd them during those times. And um, what does the that catechism say? In life and in death, I belong to, to Jesus Lord, Christ, yeah. my, my faithful Savior. Yeah. yeah, and I just think there's got to be a way where we can talk about that. And maybe Ash Wednesday is one of the ways, um, although I think this year I'm going to talk about sin, not death. So come on down, everybody. But, um, you know, it's powerful for the people who get to be in the room, but it's just important that you don't have to be in the room for with someone you love to be able to hear that named um i mean it's just it's very hard to talk about we believe it but it's very hard to talk about it i remember when i was taking cpe clinical pastoral education at a hospital Mm -hmm. in louisville which is often more clinical than pastoral that is correct yes and i struggled with with uh, some parts of cpe but one exercise i remember um well um we were gathered as a group, I think somewhere around eight to 10 of us. And the person leading our group uh, did this kind of guided meditation on the day of our death. Mm-hmm. It's like, what is that like? Who, where are you? Mm-hmm. Who's in the room? Who's around your bed? What are the circumstances of your death? What, do, what, what are your final words to the people around mm-hmm. your bed? And what are you feeling as you prepare to die? That was a really powerful exercise. And things like that we just don't do very much in this society because, again, we're trying to live as long as we can. And, of course, you know, life is wonderful and we're grateful for the gift of life. But we, we just don't face the reality of death very well. And then if we can't face the reality of death very well, then we make all kinds of really poor choices when it comes to life, because what we're trying to do is not die. Not die, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, that really um, limits our ability to live subversively as followers of Jesus Christ because we think that Jesus has got us right up to the grave. Yeah. But after that, we're on our There's own. There's that place in um, the book of Revelation where it shows uh, the, the saints who have been martyred, they are in heaven. And uh, I think John says something. Like yeah. they they loved not their lives even unto death, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, that was a beautiful moment, and I mean a hard moment. And I, I mean, like I say, it's I don't want to I don't want to. It's hard to name it beautiful because it makes it seem like the pain of what was in the room doesn't matter, and it mm. does matter. I mean, it does. It so matters. But I also just think it's really important to say the pain and the fear are not the only real things in the room. Well, if we simply go to the cross, right? The cross was both ugly and it is beautiful to us. If we have eyes to if, see. If we have eyes to see. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same with the with the death of of God's saints. Mm-hmm. Um, and there there is a there is a scripture that says something about um, oh, um, Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. Something like that. I, I can't remember where. I love it when you do that. It's so non-Baptist of you. Normally, <laughs> normally you have all, all of this. So what is astonishing you this week? I am astonished once again by one of our adult um, discipleship groups. We have two that meet on Sunday afternoons after worship. And one is a, a group. They are faithful uh, to 
uh, to work through kind of a standard curriculum and they are wonderful and they learn and they are uh, dedicated to doing that. And then we have another group that's constantly changing what they study and how they study. And normally or often they'll, they'll go through some uh, kind of prepackaged study, you know, with mm-hmm. a study guide and a DVD and a leader's guide. And um, they did something different this past Sunday that I never thought of. Well, first of all, they, um, they decided to study the book of Malachi. They said, we're just going to study the book of the Bible. And they chose Malachi. Okay. And why, why did you guys choose that? Well, it's the last they, one. <laughs> they said it's the last book of the Old Testament, and we know that there's like 400 years in between Malachi and Matthew, and so th- there's got to be something to do that. It's got to be important, right? It's like, okay, I can go with that reasoning. But the first day to meet to study Malachi, uh, everyone brought their study Bible, and the only thing they did was, and there, there's only like six people in the group, every person in the group read the introductory notes of Malachi from their study Bible. Mm -hmm. And I never would have thought to do that. And on the surface, it sounds really boring, Mm -hmm. but it was, it was so engaging. It, a lot of conversation came out of it. It was repetitive. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, for me in terms of teaching, I love repetition because that's how I learn. And so as each person read their study notes, you know, there were, points of connection between all the notes. And then there were some differences which uh, uh, inspired conversation. But by the time everybody read their study notes, the the teaching felt full, right? Mm-hmm. And there was no, there's no teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never would have thought to, to do it that way. Um, and so, yeah, it was really, really good. Well, what I love about that is I think about this a lot because I constantly have to pull myself that a lot of times I want to read about scripture more than I want to read scripture. So I have, you know, probably now seven books that I'm in some stage of reading about, I mean, it's a, a straight up about scripture. It's not even about theology, but I, and I realize sometime that it's often I really think, you know, what is that about? Like, why do I want to read what somebody else says about these words instead of just putting myself straight in communication with the word um, mediated only by the Holy Spirit. And I think, I mean, I know what that's about. It's because if I'm reading what Brian Zahn says about it or Kathleen Norris says about it, then my thoughts can partially be about do I agree with him or do I agree with her? Whereas if I'm just submitting myself to the text, then it is just about me saying, well, do I conform to this or not? And what claim does this have on me? And if it has no claim on me, well, how in the world am I justifying that? And so I think that that's really helpful and it's not an either or, obviously. And definitely, you know, starting with reading the introductories and the study guides. I mean, that's so smart because it gives people enough context yeah. that they're protected from. And I have found that many times people will, they'll go buy some kind of study guide or commentary mm-hmm. and read that before they read those, just those simple introductory notes mm-hmm. in their Bible. Well, and I think it's just hard because there's a part of us that just wants to find religious ways to separate ourselves mm-hmm. from scripture. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, particularly there are passages 
of scripture in general, but especially of some of um, Hebrew Bible texts where if you don't have context, they can be really, really harmful. But when it comes to the gospels, I mean, partly I just think we want, we want a level of separation so that we can say it doesn't have a claim on us. Like I was reading um, when we met this morning, I was looking at this Brian Zahn book on forgiveness called Unconditional. And he was saying, if you ask non-Christians, what does the gospel say? One of the first things they'll say is Jesus teaches, love your enemies, love your enemies, love your enemies. Like that is one of the first things that a non-believer will know about the gospel. But if you ask a Christian, what does the gospel say? That will not be on their list. They will talk about Jesus died on the cross for my sins or, you know, God loves me or whatever. And so it's just so interesting that, you know, this claim, which is memorable because it is radical, which is what people associate with Jesus's demands, but what we kind of in the world all the time allow ourselves to forget because it does make such a big demand on us. And so I would rather read, you know, Walter Brueggemann on the Psalms than just read the Sermon on the Mount again and again and again, because the Sermon on the Mount will just hammer away at my pretensions. And I like them. Thank you very much. They are my shield and my armor that allow me to justify myself and continue in patterns of behavior behavior that are not conformed to Christ. But I mean, nobody else is conformed to Christ, so why me? (laughs) I say reassuring. Well, once again, I'm I'm so... um, in the best sense of the word, proud of this group. They're just gonna, they're not gonna buy a study guide. They're just simply gonna read through the text, looking at their notes uh, that are in their, their study Bibles. And um, I'm eager to see how how the Spirit speaks to them and, yeah. if, the, and if, if they do it again. And right? the other thing that's I think is so great about that is a lot of times we just make excuses for where we are like well if only there was a small group I could join or if Mm -hmm. only there were a good children's Mm -hmm. ministry or if only you know I could go to that conference and really learn about like blessing my children and parenting and we realize there are simple things that we absolutely have the power but maybe not the will to do and we neglect those simple things because we think well that's not going to make any difference like why why start where I am and set aside five minutes to pray in the morning and five minutes to pray in the evening? That's not going to make any difference. Like, but if I could go off on a silent retreat for four days, now that would make the that difference. Make so difference. I'll just wait mm-hmm. for, for, you know, I'll just discount these small little things that I could do because I'm waiting for the great thing that will be, you know, a huge yeah. shift in my life. And, and that's, six people getting together simply to read the text. Makes a difference. Powerful. Right. And I think we want to believe that it isn't, mm-hmm. that that won't make a difference. We want to believe that that won't make a difference because that lets us off the hook. Because we think, well, it's not really, you know, I can't really be held responsible for where I am in my Christian life because my church isn't good enough. My work was too scared. I mean, but the reality is we have the ability to learn so much and grow so much. And we have the ability to meet in community and to hold, we can do that. And so if we choose not to, it's really uncomfortable to sit with what, what am I, what am I doing to say, no, I'm, you know, I could gather in worship almost every week, but a lot of times I don't. And the reason I don't is it's all good reasons. And, but underneath it all is it wouldn't really make a difference anyway. So I'm not going to go. And that's, I mean, I, I think that's really it and and to say I could show up 
you know, for this Bible study, or I could hack, like I could do a, a Google Hangout for 15 minutes and, and sit with people virtually mm. online and have a discussion. Or I could just invite people over to my house and say like, hey, is it silly? Let's just get together and start reading through the Gospel of Luke together and see what the Lord does with that. There are things we could that are in our power to do and we neglect them, like Naaman saying, I'm not going to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. Like, that's beneath me. Like, I'm on a pilgrimage. I'm doing something serious here. We've got rivers back home. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that reminds me that, you know, this year as a church family, we are simply reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together. And at first, when I put the plan together, basically, it's just two chapters a week. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I first gave it to some of the elders and said, well, what do you think about this? It was like, well, it's just two chapters a week. It's not, you know, read through the Bible in you yeah. know 90 days. It's two chapters a week for the year. We're simply going to read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, just walk with Jesus and those four Gospels. And I think that matters. I think mm-hmm. that is important. I think that God will do great things with that simple practice of just two chapters a week Well, and the what Gospels. is powerful about that is that whatever fruit is born out of that is clearly a fruit of the Holy Spirit and not a fruit of your communities like exceptional asceticism or right. exceptional commitment like nobody's gonna be like whoa that's so impressive you read two bible <laughs> chapters a week i know so so whatever happens as a result of that is not going to be to your credit it's mm. going to be to god's credit and i think you know that's we but we miss that all the time and i love that richard Rohr book called breathing underwater when he's just talking about you know the reality is the we are all slaves to sin and the 12 step program is derived from the Christian practice of dying to self and being surrendering to the Holy spirit and becoming vulnerable to allow God to birth in us a new life. And one of the things that hurts people in recovery and hurts addicts is you just have this all or nothing thinking that, you know, this idea that freedom comes one day at a time, it comes just saying, I I cannot, I'm overwhelmed by the idea of never drinking again or never dram- gambling again, so I'm just going to focus on today. today. Just and today. Just today. And that just seems so, ex- it seems too little to matter and too little to, to celebrate. If you say, I can't even tell you that I'll never relapse. I can just tell you that even when I do relapse, I get to start again on the next day. And, and he talks about, and I mean, people in recovery talk about stinking thinking, like just all or nothing. It's like, I'm not just going to do this small thing that anyone could do because that couldn't possibly change my life. I need a big grand gesture that completely transforms me in an instant. And if I can't just be completely transfigured and transformed in an instant, then just forget it. Just, I'll just take what I have this all or nothing thinking And the Christian faith is all about surrendering to God and doing small things that in and of themselves don't accomplish anything. But when you do them in the name of the Lord and ask God to, you know, glorify himself in them, then all of a sudden our prayers and our practices and our communities become vehicles of grace, not because of us, but because of the Lord. Now I'm wondering if that's how we need to view the season of Lent. Mm -hmm. Lent is this one day at a time 
walking in discipline, walking in the spiritual disciplines. I'm not trying to do some great heroic leap of spiritual transformation, but today I'm going to pray. Today I'm going to fast. Today, and I'm I'm just going to think today for the next 40 days. Well, and also it's about like submitting yourself to the wisdom of the community, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of saying, you know, for the past thousands of years, Christians have found this pattern of living to be beneficial. And so instead of me deciding, well, this is all crap, it's not going to make a difference, so why? It's about saying, you know what? There's no harm in submitting myself to this and being able to say that sometimes God operates not through my best ideas and best desires, but at, you know, outside of them by, uh, by becoming vulnerable. So I think, um, I mean, I think that's really a, a lot of what it's about because I do think in the beginning when we practice Lent, it's often about, I am going to set aside these 40 days mm-hmm. and make just mm-hmm. a superhuman, heroic, Absolutely. spiritual mm-hmm. boost forward. Yep. Yep. And then when I get to Easter Sunday, I'll, I'll be a different person. Look at what I did. Right. I'll be mm-hmm. 40 pounds lighter and <laughs> all my enemies will be my friends and I will be, you know, <laughs> levitating off the ground. And we do it for a couple years. And for a couple years, we just think like, okay, well, I messed it up last year, but this year, this man, year. Mm-hmm. this year's the year I'm going to really do it. And then when we discover that actually superhuman like boosts forward like I don't play video games but aren't there places where you can like mm-hmm. go and like get a secret coin and then all of a sudden you're just like turbocharged yeah, that's, that's and when really... we discover <laughs> that Lent doesn't become this superhuman turbocharged path to enlightenment or superhero status we're like well what's the point of this mm-hmm. so we just go and let every day be like every other day and I think you know finding that Balance. Well, my friend um, Bev Weinhold, I was looking at her social media post and she said something like, you know, Lent is this time where we are called to come down off of our self-created spiritual pedestals and face the fact of being human. That's good. I think it's really good to say you are going to fumble along through Lent and it is not going to feel glorious and you're probably going to screw it up. And it's probably not going to be that impressive. And yet, if you commit yourself to it and commit yourself really to the humbleness that comes from realizing, I, you know, this is, I'm not making a scrapbook about this, um, that you will be in a different place at the end of it than you were at the beginning of it. And you might not be as far as you want to be, but you need to get rid of the all or it's still worth your time. I mean, it's worth your intentionality. Um, so yeah, I, that's what I'm thinking about. Do we just move from you to me in a seamless well, transition so. <laughs> of my ego, which is no. a problem, a problem, a problem. So, so what are you thinking about? Well, along the same lines, I'm thinking about Ash Wednesday mm-hmm. tomorrow. Um, I recently learned that the church has been practicing Ash Wednesday for about 2000, not, not 2000 years, but about 1200 years, which is longer than I thought. Um, and uh, again, you know, being in this death denying culture, I think it's just so important that we have a day like Ash Wednesday where we stop and remind ourselves or we, we, we get reminded by the scripture that one day we will die and we will, um, give an account for our lives. And that is, uh, that's a very sobering thought for me. Uh, I was saying on the run, I was kind of joking, but 
kind of not that uh, you know I have a uh, I, I, I deal a lot in in shame mm -hmm. and so it's it's very important for me to uh, confront the reality of my brokenness my sinfulness um, because you know, wanting to run away from my own shame I can very easily get on a track where I'm I'm saying well I may not be everything I need to be but at least I'm doing better than a whole lot of other people yeah. and I, it's just very easy for me to get into that mindset and if you engage the ideas the theology behind Ash Wednesday you just can't do that just sitting with the reality that I am going to die I'm going to die and and, and sitting with the reality of gosh I'm going to also have to stand before the Lord um, knowing how much I have um, been hard-hearted and disobedient and uh, have known the good but refused to do it and seen the evil and embraced it um, and been complicit in a whole lot of people's pain and suffering. For me, that's that's very sobering, and so I need this this kind of day to look at that, um, and then to hear on the other side uh, the grace and the good news of Jesus saying, "Come to me, um, those of you who are you know weary of trying to be good enough, holy enough, whatever enough, and I'll give you rest. Come to me and um, drink from this fountain of grace and mercy and forgiveness. I, I know my soul needs to hear that. And for me, that is, that's super energizing. I remember when, when I was in college, um, I went to a school, Bethel University, that's in the middle of nowhere. It's halfway between Memphis and Nashville. And I think that town had a Walmart and a Dairy Queen and for fun, and I can't believe we did this, for fun, my friends and I, we would go to all of these revival services at country churches. Um, we would drive 30 minutes, an hour, and these preachers would, in some way, just yell at you. Um, and something in my soul, just, I like that. I like being confronted with that hard, harsh truth of God's... Um, God's wrath, God's displeasure at my sin, not sin in general, but my sin, and then hearing the good news of Jesus. Um, and, and for me, Ash Wednesday, and Ash Wednesday has become, over my 20 plus years of ministry, more and more important. It used to be you know, Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, and Pentecost. Yeah. And now, Ad, um, Advent, um, Good Friday, Good. Ash Wednesday, there we go, uh, has become one of the... I'm just, uh, I'm laughing that we're making this big case for Ash Wednesday and we're going to post this on Friday, so <laughs> hope you went to yeah. service. It's <laughs> too late for you. Maybe I need to post um, this earlier um, this I mean, week. But I think that's interesting. Two, two places off, off podcast, mm. I want to have a conversation about that um, idea that we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account and where that comes from and how that, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and how does that, um, synthesize with, you know, um, I just preached on the prodigal son this past week. So how does that, um, how do you make that come together with the idea of the father seeing the son from a long way off and the son coming and trying, you know, trying to get out the words yeah. to say, 
I'm no longer worthy. And the father basically saying, shut up. Here, here's, here's. Come on in. Here's right. rain and, so and I, robe. And, and I, I mean, I just, there's yeah. tension. Like, I think we need yeah. both of those ideas yeah. because it, it is, it is dangerous for us to just think basically doesn't matter what I do. Um, and, and destructive to others. Cause I think yeah. that for me is the thing about Ash Wednesday is I don't want it to be this like, if I could just yeah. say this one thing real quick, I think the word for me is, um, accountability. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm accountable there. There's, um, yeah, that's just the word. Anyway, keep going. But it was interesting because what you said, my friend was oh. when I was in college, mm-hmm. there was some part of me that enjoyed hearing yeah. these pastors yell at me. Yeah. And say, you know, and and having that emotional reaction to this is who I am, and then experiencing the relief of yeah. the announcement. And so I just think that's interesting. I mean, that that's an interesting thing to wrestle and, with. And for me, I think it was important because everything else in my world, in terms of the culture, the society, you know, from the music I listen to, the shows I watch on television didn't give me that, didn't give me that sense of what I do matters. Not in the sense of, you know, you need to go to school so you can get a good job and be successful, but my, my, my spiritual life, my life before God, my, um, uh, good and evil, that, that matters. And I need to pay attention to that. And so having someone come uh, and preach that in a in a in a way that's really uh, maybe hard and confrontational helped me, especially as a young adult, break through. Um, yeah, well, that makes sense. I guess because I was going to push you really hard on that, but I suppose there is a relief to hearing the truth named, that, and that's exactly Even what I'm getting not, at. You know, it's not a good yeah. truth. It's not a pleasant yeah. truth. Yeah. But when the truth is named, even when it's hard, there's a relief of thinking, oh, I'm not crazy. Like well, just that. Even then, you know, of course, you know, my undergrad degrees in religious studies and Christian education. And so when they were preaching hard and maybe harsh, I knew what was on the other side. You know what I'm right. saying? Well, so I, yeah. I, I could, I could say yes, that that is true, because I knew on the other side if they were preaching the gospel that there would be a, a grace, and so it wasn't an exercise in, um, you know, self punishment. You know, right. Well, and I guess thing. I mean because I mean there's two things about that that my my fear is or my wariness is, and and I see this not just on Ash Wednesday but sometimes just in weekly worship when we're confessing our sins that I I want that to be a space where I mean people should feel free to be honest Tell about the feeling about whatever the they're feeling right whatever you're feeling um and and I do believe and experience to be true and long for more in my own life that that repentance is a fruit of the spirit so if the holy spirit is really moving within us then we will not have a manufactured but an authentic grieving over our sinfulness, right? Mm-hmm. So so I, I understand that, that repentance is not a pleasant experience, but it is the it is the seed of new life and, and fruitfulness and, and abundant life. And so but I I also think I don't want this to be 
a performative emotional moment where we're just saying like, well, we need to come here and feel sad. And there's a certain catharsis of feeling sad or feeling scared. I mean, what I want, and we were talking about this earlier is to be able to say like, okay, but it's not just about coming here and naming sin is bad and I'm a wretch and I feel really badly about the terrible things I do and, you know, sin is a lion and I, whatever. But it's also just about saying like, yes, this is bad and it's evil and it matters and I am not innocent and I am a part of it and I will never fully, like, change myself to be no longer susceptible to it and every single inch of progress I can make is worth it like I even if I will never fully break the bond that sin has on my heart on this side of eternity and I I mean and I think people are basically good and decent and lovely so I'm not I mean you're the downer I'm not but I still think it's no one will Are you fully, saying I'm a Calvinist? I am yeah. would never call you names you're my friend but I think that it's important to realize that like I will be like sin will be a factor in my life every day and and it will not be cute um and I want to be someone who says even if I can't fully dismantle that system, I want to do everything within my power to dismantle as much of it as I can, not only because sin is stealing life from me, but honestly because sin is turning me into a weapon against my brothers and sisters. And I don't I don't want that. Like for the sake of myself and for the sake of my community, I don't want I, I don't want to get to a point where I'm like yeah, yeah, sin is real, but grace abounds. And so, you know, it doesn't matter if I, you know, if I have an affair or if I cheat on my taxes or if I phone it, like I, I want, so it's just finding that space of, of not being paralyzed by self-loathing or disgust, but being able to take a sober look at sin and not get so familiar with the idea of sin and systems of evil not growing so familiar to it that we grow numb to it and just like, eh, I'm better than that dude. Right. So I'm good enough to be able to say, if I can make any progress at all, it's worth me putting my back into it. And it's worth me being intentional about it. And I'm not going to become more and more free, like spontaneously. That's going to take, I'm not going to, what is within me is not going to be capable of generating that freedom, but also what is within me will be used by God to bring more and more life into, into my life. And that matters not for my own sake, but for the sake of leaving the people in my wake a little less wounded. Um, and I do think we are coming to a place of really reclaiming the radical transformative nature of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I don't want... I don't want to miss that chance to be able to say, like I was, I don't know if I talked about this in the podcast, but I was meeting with a, a friend in the community who I love and she was essentially like, I cannot believe I'm becoming a Christian because my whole life, everything I've heard about Jesus and Jesus people, I've just been like, and now all of a sudden I'm in this community and everything I hear about Jesus, there's something in me that's going, yes, yes. And I find myself you know, I want to claim this. This is clearly, you know, what, what God is doing, even though the word God is not even a word I like to use. Right. And, and, but to be able to say, like, I find myself 
now like having to identify with people that my whole life I've wanted nothing to do with what they were selling because of the way you know they were living and talking about people and I just think yeah I mean and I think she said like Jesus has really bad PR and I'm like yeah I mean and it, and like it's funny except that it's really not funny when there's this way of life that we all have access to and that we get to be ambassadors of that way of life and we just act like it doesn't even matter. Like, like it doesn't matter. So why do you think we act like that? Why, why, how do we get to the place where we communicate it doesn't matter? Well, I mean, I think a lot of us just get comfortable. And we get distracted by striving for status in systems that are just you know, human constructs that, you know, like I really want a place at this table, even though I agree that the values of this table are not even the values I agree with. Right. I mean, like we were talking earlier, like when our kids get report cards and, you know, the standardized tests label them this or that. And even when we say, okay, but I know, you know, I, I know the story behind who's making those tests and who's making those labels and who's profiting off of this. And I know even that, if the idea that I need my kid to be in the 99th percentile so that they can get the awards so that they can get into the college so that they like, that's a, that meritocracy lie is just a straight path to a life of, of real danger and, and death. And I don't even believe in that path. And yet, you know, when your kid comes home with a label, it's really hard just to be like, that is not, I don't need to despair about that because what I'm striving for is fundamentally different than, than what the world claims matters. And, and sometimes the world makes those claims that are lies in the name of Jesus. And it's so hard to say, I'm, I'm going back to this revelation. And- so then that makes me want to make a case for what I've been saying, is that <laughs> you, we really need this kind of stark, hard truth given to us mm-hmm. so that we can see the beauty of the kingdom. Because if the kingdom is near, as Jesus proclaimed, mm-hmm. then that means somehow we have to see that the, the world to which we have become attached, the, the world system to which mm-hmm. we've become attached, is... Passing away. And ugly. And ugly, and, and right. we And we have to, at some point, in some ways... Uh, be able to reject it for the beauty of this kingdom that is near. And if the if, if this hard truth isn't given to us, at least for my own soul, it's so easy to slide back into uh, a thinking that says, you know, in Jesus, I kind of got my ticket to heaven. And so I can... I can I can have both. I can have this can, world and the next. I can and, claw for whatever I can get out of this world. And, and so I have yeah. to have this 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 cycle this thing where i keep coming back to this hard truth oh i'm a sinner and that matters it's not simply a religious thing that i say i'm a sinner and that is dangerous that is um it ought to be um i remember once um when i was living in nashville and i was learning the city and i was downtown near the state capitol and if you've ever driven downtown nashville near the capitol the 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 streets twist and turn and 
next thing you know, um, you're going down a one-way street, and that happened to me. And I was happy as a clam driving down the street, and these people start passing me. They're rolling their windows down, yelling at me like, I think they're really angry with me. I'm thinking, I just moved here. Give me a break. What, what's happening? And I realized, oh, they're trying to warn me that I'm going down the wrong way, and this mm-hmm. is really dangerous. Um, and I just, I need to turn around. And I, I see uh, Ash Wednesday and, uh, and uh, uh, a clear, hard, keep coming back to that word, um, declaration of sin and sinfulness as, as help. to And, and the connection, turn. honestly, to declaring not only sin, but death and being able to say, sometimes we do have a good idea of like, at the end of our lives, what what do we want? What will be a good life? Not even in God's eyes, in our own lives. And most of us would say like, well, I want to be loved and I want to have made a difference in people's lives. And I want the world to have been a better place because I was in it. And so, so then you go like, okay, well, if that's, those aren't, and forget about somebody else saying you should want that. Those are your actual values and you are actually going to die. Then it's helpful to take a look at what you're doing right now and going like, well, it, it, is there any intentionality in my life about trying to create that kind of a life that I say I want? And if I'm so caught up in like, well, what, how can I, you know, how can I manipulate things to be more successful over here or get more money over there or get my kid in that over there to say, am I, but I am giving no thought to how am I loving people and how am I giving of my time and relationship with people? Then all of a sudden, you know, you do realize like, oh, it, is the road that I'm on leading me to the kind of life I want to live? And if not, I need to do a hard U-turn because like at some point I'm going to, I'm going to get to a point where I can't, you know, yeah. where it's just time's up. And, and, and I'll just simply add, um, cause we've only, we've got less than 10 minutes and our hour is up, but I will add, you know, a text like Joel chapter two, the text we're using for Ash Wednesday, which is a strong warning from God that those texts are given to religious people for the most part. Correct. Right? It's the, these warnings, these, these harsh proclamations about the wrath of God are given to religious people who think they are okay. Yeah. Right? And they need this reality check. So you are not right. You are not okay. And this is why. And there needs to be some repentance. And so I, I have great... Um, compassion, sympathy. Um, I have a, a soft spot in my heart for people who are not believers because I can remember a time when I was outside of the church and outside mm-hmm. of the faith and not a disciple of Jesus. And so um, my, my, my approach to them is the great grace of God for them. But because I've been in ministry for 20 plus years, I can, I can identify with those texts where God just says, my people snap out of it. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I do, I do tend to gravitate to those, those places. Well, and the other thing I think that is good news about this call to repentance and turnaround is, and we were saying this earlier on the run that, 
you know, if the center of your life is like, I want to be, you know, beautiful and desirable for as long as you can, mm. or um, I want to be powerful, or I want to be rich, or I want to be important, or I want to be like a great athlete, then your life is, it's, it's on a bell curve, right? Like you're going to hit a peak and then there's going to be a time after that peak where it's just all about what, what you're losing and you're losing and you're losing and you're losing. And that and an amazing thing about putting this way of Jesus at the center of your life is you, it's not a bell curve. Like no matter where you are, um, when you, when you have this moment of considering life, um, no matter what your, your mental state is, your physical state is, your, your financial state is, you have the power, um, of God to meet you where you are and, and grow and grow forward. And you, yeah. you have the power of God to grow um, deeper and stronger and better at doing the thing that is most important to you. And so your life doesn't, even as you're physically dying, you can still be blessing and loving and enriching the lives of people around you. Yes. Like think of the patriarchs on their deathbed saying like, here, I have a blessing for you. And, and we have this power that even if we, have what the world would call nothing we have tremendous power not to get something but to be who god has created us to be and that has a a life and a zeal and a joy and an honor that is that can't be taken from us and so you know it's helpful to say if you come to ash wednesday and you're you know whatever, 82 years old and you're losing your hearing and you have limited mobility, like, does that mean that your time of being able to be, um, you know, important in the kingdom of God is diminishing? No, it does not. It does not because you still have the capacity to bless people who are around you in your life. You still have the capacity to glorify the Lord in the way that you bear the suffering that you may be experiencing. You still have the capacity to, you know, speak life and hope to your, into your own life. And to, I mean, the, like your life can have meaning all the way up to, to death and then obviously beyond. And that's not something that any other goal of life can give us. At any other goal of life is going to have a peak, and then after you hit that peak, it's just going to all be about Downhill. declining as slowly as you can, and mm. and just mm. losing and losing and losing and trying to make peace with that loss. And we have this ability to be part of a life that is ever growing, bigger and bigger and more expansive, and to continue to have more and more spiritual power. And that, I mean, that's really really encouraging. But first, you have to repent of the system of you know, lies and death stealing. I said that was the last thing I was going to say on the subject. I've got one more thing. Good. It can be the last thing. God giving us the hard truth is also an act of love. Yeah. It's not an either or. That is also, it's loving to tell someone the truth. Yeah. And I'm... And I think you're right, and you raised something good about the prodigal son and how he was received home by the father. And it just occurred to me, oh, well, at that point, he did not need the hard truth because he confronted that in the pig pen. Um, He realized what his life had become and said, I'm going to go back to my father. And at that point, yeah, he didn't need a reality check. And so I think we have to keep both of those things in mind 
the, the hard truth that we need and the great grace of God's welcome when we repent and come home. Um, if you want to hear Yolanda's sermons, you should go over to the Podbean webcast website and search for the Dorita Church podcast, and you should check out Dorita Church, Google Dorita Church Charlotte, and it will pop you over to their website. And if you want to hear messages from the Grove, go to iTunes and look for the Grove Charlotte podcast. And if you want to check out the Grove, you can go to thegrovecharlotte.org, and we will talk to you next week.